So, Paul, who was the most interesting interview you had this weekend? Wow, that's that's pretty cool. I have to say there were many, but the L.A. Times story by Josh Rottenberg was really, really cool. I was really uh, excited to be part of that one. CNN was great. I don't know. They're all cool. CNBC, our friend Sarah Witten wrote a nice story. I feel like the more radio I'm doing is really fun. WBBM Chicago and KNX News Radio here in Los Angeles were very interesting, but all fixated on Avatar, but also an interesting one that I have coming up that'll be on the NBC Nightly News, if all goes according to plan, NBC Nightly News doing a story about Avatar, but also about long running time movies, wherein this was the most interesting one because Mike, I'm trying to bring back the intermission. (laughs) (laughs) Three, Three hour movies, Babylon, Avatar, and even at movies that are two hours and 50 minutes. And they're actually intrigued by that. And I am too. And I think it'd be great for theater owners. You get people in the lobby. They're going to buy more drinks and soda. Although you could sit at your seat in most theaters. You don't have to go out. But to go to the restroom, however, I don't want to get too much into the organic need for an organic break or whatever they call it, rather than going to the restroom, as they say. That is really interesting. We're going to have to go look up how many oh, I've, I've looked it up, Mike. movies in 2022 <laughs> that came in over two hours and 30 minutes? There's a stat for you. Yeah, I actually did a uh, survey of films looking at long running times. You kind of have to break it down to films that are of a certain, you know, that open in a certain number of theaters. Because if you right. start getting to like every movie, there are some you know, independent films or foreign films that can run for hours and hours and hours. For example, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, opened in 2000 plus theaters, which seems to be our cutoff. These are films with running times from two and a half hours to three and a half hours. So Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, 209 minutes. Wow. Titanic, 203 minutes. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, 201 minutes. Green Mile was a long movie. King Kong, The Hateful Eight, Pearl Harbor, Avengers Endgame, The Wolf of Wall Street, Meet Joe Black. These are all movies that are you know, really long films. And if you, I remember seeing the original, I'm not the original Scarface with Paul Muni, but the Al Pacino Scarface. And I remember that being a three hour movie. So Mike, what do you think is industry standard? Don't you think it's hour and a half and then two hours, kind of those standard running times? Or is that outmoded now? I, I think that's outmoded. I think the 90-minute movie, and look, I have nothing to back it up on. I haven't done any research. But I think the 90-minute movie is pretty much gone. Darn it. I love the 90-minute movie. I watched Some Kind of Wonderful, which is a brilliant John Hughes movie directed by Howard Deutsch. And that movie's like an hour and 34 minutes. It just, it's perfect. It's tight storytelling. It's fun. I can watch the whole movie without having to go to the, you know, take a bathroom break. It's fantastic. I'm thinking back to my other lifetime ago when I was a theater manager and, you know, most movies at that point would come in between 135 and 140. Like that seemed to be the standard operating procedure. Do you want to tell us what years we're talking about? That would have been, uh, I started in 78 and uh, I was working in the movie theaters until 1985. You were a child. 
What the hell, man? It was my high school job. You're like a kid. It was fun. I would, to anyone out there, I'd recommend get a job in a movie theater. There's nothing like it. But what were you saying about the long running? Like back then, what was it like? And that you had reels, right? This wasn't in the era of flip a switch and and run the movie. No, I mean, we didn't run it. We didn't have reel to reel. We had a platter system. The way a platter system would work basically is just think of a giant pizza dish and you would build up you would basically wind all five or six reels. And literally, like that that's what it would come down to. It was either five or six. Each reel running about 20 minutes is kind of the rule of thumb. And you would build it onto this giant pizza dish, and you would thread it through a bunch of rollers, and it would then wind up on a platter right below it. So in the old days, prior to digital, and that was the way movies were shown up until 15 years ago. Unfortunately... When you would get some 18 or 19-year-old kids sometimes who would build up the print, as they say, if the film was not on the roller correctly, it would create um, scratches. You'd get those green lines that would show up. On the emulsion of the film. Yeah. And, and again, once that happened, you were done. Like that was – once you had a scratch on a print, it was toast. It was not the most efficient way of doing it, but it was the best way to do a 35 millimeter print back in the day. Could you tell how long the movie is, obviously, by the number of reels? Or- oh, yeah. Like if you get, you know, you got every now and then you'd get a seven reel. <laughs> so you'd get these two cans, one with four reels and you'd get one with three and they were heavy as hell. Right. And uh, you knew that was a really long long movie. yeah like something like apocalypse now was just ridiculous or gone with the wind or even 2001 a space odyssey was a pretty long movie those were before my day i i must say i'm not quite <laughs> mike, that I'm old not saying, wait, wait, i'm wait. not quite that old <laughs> mike polydor is working in a movie theater in 1930s no that didn't have he wasn't even close to being born it was um you know i go back to uh <laughs> you know what I said at the top, and we're digressing a bit. But I would recommend anybody work in a movie theater, especially if you love the movies and the movie business. There's no better way to see how it all kind of comes together than watching a crowd on an opening weekend. I'll remember my first job was at the Egyptian in Hollywood. It was a UA theater at the time, not American Cinematheque or Netflix like it is now. 1,362 seats in the big theater. Beautiful theater. We opened Alien. If you remember the first Alien. Oh, yeah. And it was, to this day, to me, that is the scariest horror film I've ever seen. So good. There is the scene where the alien has been implanted in the body of uh, John Hurt, I believe it is. Yeah, that's right. It uh, pops out of his stomach. And once you knew that was coming as an usher, I would stand in the auditorium, 1,362 people. And instead of looking at the screen, now I'm watching the people's reaction. Because I know what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And to watch a 1,362 people in unison go, they all jump. It's the power of the movies and it's power of watching it together. Mike, that is so cool. I remember that scene. That's one of the greatest jump scares by a master filmmaker. Another great one. I remember I would go back to see this movie when it first opened and watch people jump at the end. That was Carrie. That, That was another one where you could see... What was going on? I remember with Carrie, the movie's ostensibly, oh, it's over, right? And they have this little epilogue where the character uh, is going through a cemetery and there's this idyllic music. And then she walks up to the grave and it says Carrie's name on the tombstone. And I'm not giving anything away, people. The movie's been out for about, you know, three, four decades, whatever. <laughs> um, and, and this bloody hand with a 
crescendo of music comes up, grabbing the arm. It's Amy Irving, right? Uh, is the is the character, and she's the sweet girl in the movie. And people just, I mean, talk about a jump scare. But also, you're right, an alien when that creature pops out of John Hurd's chest, people just lost their minds. So the I don't know how we got on this. I guess it was the, the long running times. And, yeah, it was, and the, it, was it was going back talking about the long <laughs> running times and how many reels that would be. I have noticed that this year it seems the running times have been longer. I don't know if that's just probably would have to do some analysis on. Well, you know what, Mike, look at it this way. If you do it on a cost per minute, you're getting a hell of a bargain. <laughs> you know, when you talked about the film cans and the pizza reel and the pizza dough, whatever you were talking about for the for the, the movies, platter for system, the, the, platter the platter system, system. excuse me, the platter is a great a group, by the way. I remember, I think it was Chris Aronson I talked to, and he was talking about loading film cans in the back of his B210, his vehicle, and taking them over the mountain. And I hope I'm getting that right. Anyone who's been in this business a long time has had the pleasure of taking film cans from one place to another. In 1999, we had this little movie called The Blair Witch Project. And uh, we had opened up down in the block in Orange County. He won't mind me telling this story. And that is- Please do. We opened up, uh, you know, and again, 35 millimeter prints. So back then, today with a digital, if something's selling out, you can just add another screen. It's very simple. It's a file. You just load it into the new auditorium. Yeah, the DCP, and you just hit play and you move on. Back then, though, it was you specifically needed a 35 millimeter print for each auditorium. You know, the movie just took off and it was going bananas. And uh, I remember Larry McCourt, who was our uh, division manager for the West, gets a call from Orange County and basically says, uh, you know, we need more prints. So literally we were scouring the artisan building. We found two screening prints that were behind the screen. Larry loads them up into his car. He's driving down to Orange County on a on a Friday night from Santa Monica to Orange County should take 45 minutes, you know, that probably took four hours for him to get there. And uh, as soon as he walked in the building, they started selling tickets for the next show. Wow. And people were like, thank God the guy has come with the print. It's like the cavalry arrived, man. The cavalry arrived. But that (laughs) that's old school. It doesn't happen that way anymore. Well, you know, Mike, maybe uh, this, I think, is an episode right here. I think Carolyn should just, you know. Carolyn, maybe we do a, a special uh, addendum a bonus with episode. the law bonus episode with the uh, long running times and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. Carolyn, by the way, is our esteemed editor. But Mike, actually, I want to do another episode interviewing my co-host talking about the the great old days of uh, film prints and working in theaters. Oh, there are, there are some stories that we can we can talk about from the days because I was very lucky that the theater that I managed for two years was in Westwood, California, in the heyday of when Westwood was Westwood. And for everybody out there who doesn't know, it was if your movie didn't open in Westwood and Hollywood, it wasn't open at that point. And it was right next to UCLA. I mean, I used to go there all the time. Century City had not started up yet. So there was no theater there. It was Westwood was the focal point. And literally on the weekends, you would have celebrities that would be coming into the building all the time. And you had all of the coolest movies were opening. And, you know, Westwood was buzzing with activity. I grew up in the Palos Verdes area, Rolling Hills, Palos Verdes. 
And and in the mid 70s and early 80s, we would drive, not an insignificant drive. We had theaters near us, but we would drive to Westwood because it wasn't just about going to the movie. It's about the theater, like a single screen, like the National and some of the other classic theaters there that were just single giant screens. And then you could hang out in Westwood. It was a whole happening. It was a destination. It was something that, and here in LA at least, doesn't really exist to that extent as as it did before. Well, each theater or area had an identity. I remember the Avco, yep. where I saw Alien the first time, was a little off. The It's a little further down Wilshire. It's not like yep. right in the heart, but still a great theater. I saw Alien there, saw the remake of The Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy there where the crowd just absolutely went wild for that. I mean, so many stories surrounding going to the movies. And that comes back to the whole thing of streaming is amazing. I love watching stuff on streaming. But nobody says, do you remember that time we were sitting in our living room the first time we saw, I don't know, name that, <laughs> name any movie or show? It's not the same. It's just isn't. we, you and I have discussed this many a time. And that is for some reason, and I don't know what it is, streaming is communal when it comes to television properties. So if we're talking Strangers Things, The Queen's Gambit, something like that, people are true, riveted true. to that. Yellowstone, I know, is a something yeah. that right now is in the zeitgeist. But when it comes to filmed entertainment, two hours, you would be hard pressed to come up with a film that has broken through and that every is the water cooler talk uh, these days. I, I, I don't know why. I think that's something that for a psychologist probably to get into, but there is... For some reason, a two-hour movie is not able to create the same kind of communal experience that it does when it's playing in a movie theater. And the cultural impact. And I think that's why the crazy rich Asians filmmakers, they had the opportunity to get a big chunk of guaranteed money to go streaming. And they wanted the biggest stakes on the biggest stage, I believe the director said at the time. And that movie became a cultural phenomenon. It's interesting, but it also long-term bodes well for the health and the viability of the theatrical movie space. Absolutely. That warm and fuzzy, like you said, it's a psychological thing. It's a sociological imperative. There's something going on there. I think it also is too, your buy-in is much heavier. You know, when you put the time and energy to go out to the movie theater and you're in there with your friends or family and a bunch of strangers all watching that same image, it's pretty I mean, it's incredibly powerful. Well, I, I mean, so we talked about Alien and about how the shared experience of watching something unexpected is a mutual gasp for everyone in the auditorium. Same way if you're watching a comedy, humor is infectious. Yeah. And if people around you are laughing, the movie all of a sudden becomes that much more so enjoyable as, as you're watching that. Same thing, though, going back to my theater days, we had a movie, uh, you may remember, Breaking Away with Dennis Christopher and Dennis Quaid. And uh, again, not to spoil anything, but as Paul said, the movie's decades old. So if you haven't seen it, uh, <laughs> that's on you. You know, the <laughs> climactic scene at the end, Paul, the audience cheers. Like the audience would erupt into applause at the climactic oh, yeah. scene. Well, of that movie was like Rocky on bicycles. Because correct. at the end, there's like a big, like the little 500 in Indianapolis, like this bicycle race. I remember this. I love this movie so much. My point being is movies like that, they engulf you and they get you to be, you're immersed in the film. Something that doesn't necessarily happen at home. 